0: you know first Peter chapter one (coughs) I can get my glasses up (coughs) Starting off at uh, verse three, this section is the glorious destiny and present joy of the believer, despite suffering in this world. So First Peter chapter three, chapter one, verses three to five, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which So the question was, what reasons are given <clears throat> that they should have to bless the Father for? Uh, <clears throat> any comments on that? Shouldn't be difficult. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, when you look at the world around us, Uh, we have to be thankful for his mercy that he hasn't given up on us yet. For our own lives, as we go down through the chapter, we'll continue to come across things that we should thank him uh, for his great mercy. Anything else? Yes, that's, uh, that's one. There's some before that. We've been begotten again. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So each one of us who have accepted Christ as Savior, certainly this is perhaps uh, the major thing that we're concerned about personally. That we are indeed born again. That uh, we've been born unto a, a lively hope. Now, there's any other translations on that. It seems. Sorry, that seems to be the intent of it here. It's it's a living hope. It's a hope of living again. Is perhaps the closest uh, translation of what's there. The hope of the resurrection. The new life ahead of us. These people were going through rough times. And Peter encourages them because they have a hope of a new life. One after this uh, old world is gone or they've gone from it. uh, They have the hope of the new life. They also have a hope of an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. As you look around the world and certainly in the the countries That are in turmoil just now. And you see how the things that people have lived for are now just a pile of rubble. They have no hope for the future. Everything that they had, everything they built up is gone. And you'll hear that from their own lips time after time as they're interviewed. We have nothing Everything we had is gone. But you and I have uh, a different hope. We have the hope of an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. It doesn't diminish. Day by day, we're looking forward uh, to that time to come. And where is it? It's reserved in heaven for us. It can't be touched down here. doesn't matter how the stock market goes or uh, how your job goes. What we have committed to the Lord, He is able to keep unto that day. Anything else? Says we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God, and the power of God is unlimited. We see it around us every day. We see it in the types of people who can become Christians. Instantly, and because God has the power through His Spirit to change them. These are the things that are the power of God. Creation, resurrection, salvation, and the future ready to be revealed in the last time. In verses 6 and 7, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Again, these people were going through rough times, and yet they were able to rejoice, partly because of the things that we have uh, just looked at the reasons to bless the Father. They were real to them. And it often takes difficult times in our lives to, (coughs) to realize just how much we need the Lord. In our lives. And these people were evidently realizing that. They realized realized that God was doing certain things. They might not like the way that it was being done, uh, but certainly they realized that they had a God of love who wouldn't bring them this way if there was a better way. If need be, you're in heaviness through manifold (coughs) temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perish. Any thoughts on why our faith is described as more precious than gold? That's true. And uh, when you think on it, our faith is eternal. The faith we receive when we receive, when we have Christ as our Saviour, then it lasts forever. We can take it to heaven with us. We certainly can't take gold with us. And as they say, why would you want to take paving stones to heaven with you? 1 Peter 1 and 8 Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Whom having not seen, you love. What made them love someone that they hadn't seen and who was taking them in such a difficult path? Yep. Okay.
1: So why Yes. Like King James, is King James, it's not to the is more precious King James, is that trial. On your faith is more precious. And of course, your faith is precious, but I would like to the, add there's that the, the trial of our faith is more precious the birth of the body. The trial of your faith is more precious than the gold that perishes and the birth continues. So, what we tried with fire might be like found in the praise honor of Praise and honor and glory at the appearance of the Christ. But think of gold. gold well, is only made better by fire. It's refined. So there's gold, and then there's better gold, more refined. And the trial of our faith only uh, should draw us more faithful, more aware, more conscious. So, the trial of our paper, I think, is also very precious thing, even though at the time we're not quite invited in with the outcome
0: of this. Okay. <laughs> Andrew? you will have to speak louder, I'm afraid. <laughs>
1: Evaluating his significant difference as well. I think he points out in the sense of contrast that you really want a piece of gold to have to find. I mean, you might want it, but you know that it's no use to do it, nobody wants to see it until it's defined. The right? idea it is it's, it's not really prior to not truly want trial in your life so that your faith can be in uh, its refined state when it gets to the uh, day like uh, uh, of, right? so of the of Jesus Christ. So, you still one who will be most pleased, hopefully, with being uh, purified.
0: Any other translations on that? Oh, sorry. Wayne, did you want? Now, I have to stick by my original statement, I'm afraid. Uh, My understanding is that uh, uh, (coughs) the faith is the thing here. The fiery trial uh, may... Uh, the trying by gold, or of gold, may refer to the trial, but my understanding is that the faith is the subject here. Now, uh, I'll go back and have another look at that, but, uh, that was my understanding when I, when I put this down, uh, that the, the faith is the thing being talked about here. Um, whom, having not seen ye love, and whom, though now you see him not yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, what made them love someone whom they had not seen,
1: eyes for that purchased salvation.
0: First John 4 and 19. We love Him because He first loved us. And despite the fiery trials that they were going through, uh, there was still the knowledge that this God had, had died for them. Uh, that he, he did love them. He had forgiven them for the sins that they knew were many. And he had promised them a place in heaven. And these people must have known the presence of the Lord with them in those trials. It wasn't just a case of that uh, 20 years ago they had got saved and then went on to live their normal life. These were people who I believe had a, a daily experience of the presence and guiding of the Lord in your life, in their lives, First Peter one and nine, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So these people, um, they were looking forward uh, to this eternal salvation, and. <clears throat> If I don't split these verses, it says, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The receiving, as far as I know, is present. So that even in their troublous times, They were receiving the salvation of their souls. The present tense of salvation. The Lord was looking after them in that very day. And they knew that that was their their salvation, their daily salvation, they were receiving. And they were grateful to God for it. Receiving the end of your faith The end of your faith translates (coughs) as the, the point of the goal aimed at. And what was the goal? It was the present and future salvation. The daily salvation and what lay ahead of them. Verses 10 and 11, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into. What did the prophets know about the things they wrote of? Of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. There's all the prophecies concerning the Jewish people, certainly the near ones they would understand the fact that God was going to judge them for their idolatry. He was going to send them into a nation for seventy years. These things were understandable. the prophets would realize that. And they would also realize, as Daniel did, that after 70 years, they were going to be released and they were going back uh, to their own, own land. That they could understand. But when it came to the prophecies of Isaiah, of the coming king who would be crucified... This I don't think they could understand. The fact that Israel was going to be virtually destroyed but would rise again. They weren't sure when that was going to happen. What did the prophets know about it? Daniel 12:8 and 9 says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And so other than the fact that God had told Daniel that there was going to be a series of kingdoms arise and that one day the final kingdom would be destroyed, by the mountain, the great stone that would come down, and a new order would arise. But he couldn't fix the dates on that. How God was going to do it, he could understand. So I'd say that the prophets knew the facts, but not the timing. How and what did they find out about it? Verse 12, we read, Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I can't find anything in Scripture that tells us that the prophets were told what their message was. But we're told that it was revealed unto them. I'd have to say that this was a private revelation and how Peter knew about it uh, I can't say. Now, I'm possibly wrong. I maybe missed something that was staring me in the face. But I, I can't, I can't find anything that says, as verse 12 says, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that preach the gospel. So if you can find something that would enlighten me on that. The how it that
1: back. Uh,
0: I certainly didn't go that far back. I was looking more uh, towards uh, prophets like Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, uh, and the ones that foretold the coming of Christ and uh, his death. Uh, But certainly, uh, Abraham knew that uh, his message would be preached to the Gentiles. Uh, but Isaiah fifty three. Uh I'm I'm not sure that they understood uh what was going on there. And uh I asked about
1: the funding the accounting born and funding given and so on. Good
0: program is not timing. Okay. See they didn't seem to understand the, the gap in time because the from the, the coming of the first coming of the Messiah uh to the second coming. Um, so I'll have another look at it and I'll take any help that I can get on that because it uh, it, it, it bothers me that uh, I can't get something to support such a definite statement uh, as that unto whom it was revealed. A verse
1: that says, I can't remember it, that some um, of uh, the wrote things that they could not understand
0: that's right but this says that it was revealed now I have to assume that that was perhaps later than because uh, they wrote as they were moved by the the Holy Spirit and it says here that they, they were searching of what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. So, somewhere in there, I'm I'm looking for something that could say, "Yeah, they knew because of of this," and I I haven't found it just yet. Uh, verse 13. Wherefore give up the lines of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's works, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Why was it necessary for Peter to emphasize holy living to a pass to a people whom he had just praised for their love to God? To me, from these verses, it would, uh, it would appear that um, Peter thought it necessary uh, to remind them to be holy. Um, Peter himself was somebody who was uh, very famous for going back and doing
1: the things that he had done previously. So maybe he was aware of that and preached that. Uh, not conforming yourself to the form of what you've added in your experience. Uh, You may be more aware of most of that uh, focus. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Uh... have to remember that these people, why some some of them may have been uh, of a Jewish faith, uh, we have to look at the history of the Jewish people, uh, how that they by and large were completely removed from the true worship of their god um, a while back, I read of some excavations where they had found uh, utensils that would have been used in the temple, uh, the latter temple. Um, and they had heathen symbols on them. And the Jewish people who saw them said, no, that can't be that. But if they had gone back and read why the people were deserted by God, it was because they were worshipping heathen deities. And it's no surprise to me that some of the temple utensils had heathen symbols on them. As far as the Greeks are concerned, the Greek gods encouraged immorality as part of the worship. It was interesting in a program uh, I saw recently on Pompeii uh, where they were excavating uh, what was left of the city and uh, we were able to see that when we were over there uh, last year. Uh, But the people who were doing the excavation uh, were beginning to find out what sort of place this was and it was a thoroughly immoral place i forget the the percentage of houses that were houses of ill repute but it was it was very high and some of them When they were comparing what was going on in that city and the fact that it was destroyed by fire, these people, who, to the best of my knowledge, uh, are certainly not saved people, they drew the parallel between Sodom and Gomorrah and the town of the city of Pompeii. And as they excavated them and got into the houses, there, there were still uh, paintings, murals on the walls and uh, some of the better homes. and Some of the houses of ill repute that was left you in no doubt as to what they were. And it, they said it could be that uh, God just did to Pompeii the same as he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jew or Gentile, they were, they were growing up in a, a culture where immorality was accepted. Was in the immoral living a problem in the early church? And can you find specific references for it? Romans 5 and 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul is writing this with a warning uh, that uh, offenses abounded. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So he's reminding the Christians that even although they, they lived in a culture that was sinful, there was enough grace to keep them free from it. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And He says, for I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And then 1 Corinthians 5 It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you have puffed up and have not mourned that he that hath done this good, this done this deed might be taken away from you. So it was obviously something that was being tolerated within the church. John reminds us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And James says, from whence comes wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war? In your members, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war that ye have not, because ye ask not. So whether it was moral or spiritual, it was certainly in the church in their day, and still is today. The first verse of Peter Peter two says wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings When will everyone's works be judged? 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. When will everyone's works be judged? We're told here that it can be judged as we sin. Remember Ananias and Sapphira uh, they didn't last more than a few sentences, and God judged them. And Second Corinthians five were told, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to them, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So God has the option of judging us today if what we're doing is an affront to Him and going to cause problems within the church. But each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for our sins, but from the point of view of reward uh, for the things that we have done for Him. Why is the word fear used uh, in that? I missed my verse there. Yes, 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's works, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Why did he use that word fear? John tells us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And the Greek word there is past the time of your sojourning here. I've lost it again. Past the time of your sojourning here an alarm or fright to be afraid exceedingly fear Terror. This is not the fear of respect. It's the fear of actually being afraid. And not only that, exceedingly afraid. What is it that Peter's trying to get across to us in this? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. How can we reconcile those two statements? Past the time of your sojourning here in fear, and there is no fear in love.
1: constructivism, is not to fear those who destroy the body, but only to fear the one who throw both the body and soul itself. Mm hmm. Okay, it's not that it's a sense of responsibility that we have, right? So, um, kind of our stage it's not just we're afraid of problems. Although uh not know, but uh, knowing the terror of the Lord, can you know, sickness, it because you am going to give an answer so, so to those who ask you, hope it's focused in your the uniqueness of fear.
0: comments.
1: in the context of reading of the, the gravity of the God, the, the, the salvation, of the, 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 the of the Christ, we are of God, I the journey he, he no so long
0: Uh, the way I, I, I was looking at it, and I think it's along that that too, is uh, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. This would not be a fear of punishment by God for what we're doing, uh, but a fear within ourselves of dishonoring one who went through Calvary and the wrath of God against our sin. So we live with a a constant appreciation of what Christ has done for us. If we believe that we love Him because He first loved us, then surely we should be afraid of doing anything that was going to bring His name into disrepute. And I believe if if our hearts were right, this would be one of the greatest fears that we could have. That uh, we were going to do something that would destroy uh, the reputation of God in the eyes of men. First Peter 1.18-19 says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received in tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I think we'll leave that for another time. That's something uh, that you can be looking at. What do we mean by the blood of Christ being precious? Any other comments before we Close.
1: One last one regarding fear there again. It's just many. We don't want to forget that Christ can help fear. So, Hebrews 5 7 is an example of that. He said, He was able to take him from death and discourage you from being here. So, he's another person The idea is. Uh, not to get stumbled in the idea of the distinction between this kind of fear and the kind of fear that's putting back to me as
0: love for perfect change uh the father the Okay. Our father we again thank thee for the word that you've given us the Holy Spirit that you've given us to help interpret it. And the Holy Spirit that would help us to carry out your instructions. So we would pray that we indeed may be careful how we live, both before man and before thee. So help us, Lord. We would pray again especially for those who mourn at this time. Help them to and be content with the fact that one day we will be together again. Help them in the days that lie ahead, in the arrangements that have to be made. And for the testimony to their unsaved family and friends, we pray that it may be clear, both in any message that's given and in the life of those they see going through a trial that they probably could never face the same way. Again, remember those who are sick, that they would comfort and help them. Take us to our homes in safety now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.